Good morning. It is good to be with you. Good to be here. Thank you, Father Aaron, for your hospitality and generosity and allowing us to come and share God's word. Um, we are also so thankful, Father Aaron, um, a few years ago, graced us um, to come to Cook County Jail and to share God's word. And the men absolutely love Father Aaron there. And I, I told him, I said, you got to come back sometime. So he said, if it's at all possible. So we're praying to the one who makes all things possible that you could come back, that you could come back and join us. Um, thank you for your friendship and for, for all that you do. And we look, look forward to growing closer. Can y'all do me a favor and just help me thank God for your pastor, Pastor Father. Uh, I'm excited that, um, you know, there, there aren't many things that I do well, um, and I didn't even do this well, um, but God in his goodness and his kindness to me gave me a wonderful, incredible wife. Uh, she's with me, uh, Tiffany Buchanan. Um, we have a almost two-year-old son. If you ask him how old he is, he would definitely tell you too. Um, but he's just uh, a few months away. He's with us, and my mom is here uh, with me as well. So thank you, Mom, for being here. Um, two um, of our staff, um, well, one of our staff, and Carol, you're like our staff too. Uh, Glenn and Carol, they're here from Chicagoland Prison Outreach. They'll be back at the table after service. And Elena Forsythe, who, who's a friend, former staff member, she's here. Love you so much. Good to see you. Uh, let's jump in God's word uh, together. Pastor Aaron told me I have about an hour and a half, and so I want to I want to do well with that. You guys are laughing like you know that's not true, huh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much in your presence to be with your people, our family, and to open your word. Your word, it is a lamp unto our feet, and it is a light unto our path. It is more than bread. Lord, you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And God, we've gathered today so that you can feed us, God. So, Lord, that you could speak to us. And, Lord, I, I pray that you would set me aside. Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. And, Lord, that you would... Proclaim clearly your word to your people. I pray that you would send your anointing, Lord, that makes preaching easy. Help me to speak with simplicity, with clarity, and with power. And Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've heard Acts 2 as it was read to us, and we'll be sharing. And if you want to follow along in the scriptures or in your program, please do so. That was a young girl by the name of Tracy. Tracy left church very puzzled. She, she asked her mom, she said, Mom, did pastors say that God is bigger than us? Her mom was so happy that her baby was paying attention to the sermon in church. She said, yes, baby, the pastor did say that God is bigger than us. 
Tracy still a little puzzled. She, she said, Mom, did, did pastor say that God lives inside of us? Her mom felt that that was a bigger question that was brewing. She said, yes. He said that God lives inside of us. She started putting it all together. She said, if, if, if God is bigger than us and God lives inside of us, then shouldn't God be popping out of us? I think Tracy had it right that, that God should be popping out of us. And, and this is what happened here in, in Acts 2, that God is popping out of them. We know that on this day, they were all gathered together, and suddenly there became a sound, a mighty rushing wind that filled the house, and divided tongues of fire rested upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was right there that the early church was on fire. And here, crowds gathered around, and as they gathered around, you know who stepped up. It was Peter. He had to. And Peter preached the first sermon. And, and, and when he preached and when he explained these Old Testament passages to reveal a new covenant reality, the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were saved and were added to the church. Can you imagine that on the launch of your church, that 3,000 souls were saved? The church was on fire. It reminds us of what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said that I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The church is on fire. We, we've used that term in the church for ages, being on fire for God. We also use another term in the church and outside of the church. It is the term burned out. We want to guard ourselves against being burned out. We, 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 we want to watch that we are not burned out. Question I have for you, Emmanuel. Are you on fire for God? Are you on fire individually? Are you on fire as a church? Here, when we look at the early church, they are on fire for God. And as we look at these verses, I, I believe that, that they show us what we need to do to be on fire for God. And not only to be on fire, but to keep the fire going. As we look at verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here, as, as a result of their devotion to these spiritual disciplines, awe and amazement fell on all the people around them. It created a stage in which God did many miracles and wonders. And, and here, I believe that they were on fire because they held to these spiritual disciplines that I listed right here. And, and the first one that we see is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, we're not exactly sure what the apostles' teaching exactly was. But I think we do get a snapshot of when Peter steps out 
and, and, and he, he explains the word. He, he explains the, the Old Testament and he brings it into this new covenant reality. I think we get a snapshot of what they taught when we see Jesus walking with the disciples on the Emmaus road. And he begins to open up the scriptures from Moses to the prophets. And he begins to interpret the scriptures, all things concerning him. I believe that's what the apostles taught. We remember Jesus told them, he says that, that the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance all that I have taught you. The disciples, they, they, they would have shared with those people everything that Jesus had shared with them. They, they would have taught doctrine. They would have told all of the stories that Jesus had done. They would have shared Jesus' characteristics and his expectations. At the end of the day, they were obedient to what Christ had told them to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He says, teach them all that I have commanded you. And they were just being obedient by teaching the very thing that Christ had told them to teach. And the scripture tells us that they were devoted. They were committed. They were passionate. They were focused. We know what it means to be devoted, don't we? I mean, we're, we're devoted to, to all kinds of things. But we can start with the basics. We're, we're devoted to eating. You're already thinking about what you're going to eat after service. We're, we're, we're devoted to drinking water, that is, and juice. We're devoted to our families, our spouses, our immediate families. We're devoted to friends. We're devoted to work. Oh, are we devoted to work? We go to work in the rain, sleet, or snow. We go to work when we're sick. We'll go to work when we're limping. We'll go to work on a bike. We'll go to work in an Uber. We are devoted. And I hear what you're saying. You're saying, Pastor, I'm really not devoted to work. I'm only devoted to cash and the check. <laughs> Same difference. We know what it means to be devoted, but here they are devoted to the word of God. They, they are devoted not only to explaining the word of God, but the people are devoted to actually learning the word of God. And, and we can sense that, that, th that the apostles and the early disciples, that they had this longing and this passion for the word of God. Seems like it makes application very easy, doesn't it? I'm reminded of what Jeremiah said in 20 verse 9. Jeremiah was struggling. He says, I, I, I don't want to declare your word anymore. I don't even want to speak in your name, but I have this problem. Your word is like a fire shut up in my bones that if I want to hold it to myself, I can't hold it to myself because it is burning on the inside of me. And this was the problem with the early apostles that the word of God was burning on the inside of them and they could not keep it to themselves. The word of God keeps us on fire. And, and, and here the, the, the apostles, they were committed to sharing the word of God. Friends, we too must be committed to sharing the word of God. That God does not expect for us to be spiritual hoarders. All of the Bible studies and the classes and the sermons and all that we've heard, all that we have consumed of God. He doesn't expect for us to hold it to ourselves. No, God expects for us to be a conduit in which it, he fl it flows through us. And the apostles, they were on fire because they were sharing the word of God. And it's our responsibility 
to share what God has shared with us. The other thing here is, is that there were others. They were devoted to learning. They were devoted to growing. You, you, you can't be passionate. You can't find delight. You can't find joy in the word of God unless you have received the word of God. In, in, in other words, the early church, they made themselves available. They, they shifted their schedule. They, they changed their calendars. They, they deleted some things. They, they did whatever it took for them to be in the word of God to make sure that they were taught the principles of God, that, that they would know Christ. Friends, that's what we must do. We, we must consistently and constantly make ourselves available to God so that we can learn, so that we can grow. We got to go to those small group meetings, those, those, those midweek Bible studies, Sunday school, and whatever classes are offering. None of us have ever arrived, and we only know dimly, so that means that we will be learning until we are with the Lord. And even then, I have a sneaky suspicion that even in all of eternity, we still will be amazed at the greatness and the might of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. I, I love this word, fellowship. We, we, we know it's the Greek word, koinea. Which has this significant concepts within it. it. It speaks of what we have in common, that, 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 that we enjoy a, a common gift or a common experience, mainly and particularly the grace of God through our acceptance of Jesus Christ. That, that, that in this fellowship, that we're talking about a Christian community. That is not some like passing association in which people gather together to share their common sympathies. No, no, in Christian fellowship, we, we, we gather together and we, we go deeper and, and, and we long more and more to fall in love with God. And, and we end up building long lasting relationships that is unlike any other relationships that we will have. Christ says we become one. That, 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 that here they devoted themselves to, to this kind of fellowship. And this is not just a, a social construct. This is a spiritual reality in, in which believers, born again, regenerated believers, that we are united and we fellowship with one another, but we also fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It becomes this triangular relationship. That's why in verse 44, it shares with us, that they had all things in common. It's not that they didn't have differences, but what they had in common was far greater than any differences that they had. That, that, that what they had in common was, was so great that, that they were willing to contribute everything. That they were willing to give their resources. They were, willing, they were willing to give their materials. They were willing to give spiritual things. See, koinea brings us into an intimate relationship with one another, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, one, one of the leading metaphors in, in this idea of fellowship is in marriage. 
which also speaks to, to this other side of koine is that, is that it speaks of partnership. In, in, in partnership, we, we have to set aside our own interests. We have to set aside our own desire to come together for a common purpose. And here we see that they had a great partnership. They had a great common purpose. The church was on fire. They wanted other people to be set on fire. They wanted the gospel to be spread to the ends of the earth. They were committed to being witnesses for the Lord. They were champions of the gospel. And the scripture says that God was adding to the church daily. They partnered with Christ. They partnered with the apostles. See, family, Christian fellowship, it is essential. It is essential for the Christian. It is essential for us if we are going to be on fire for God. See, Christian fellowship requires for us to be selfless and not selfish. When we abandon to assemble ourselves, when we abandon to our fellowship with one another, we are not operating in love. We're not using the gifts of the Spirit because the Spirit of God has given us gifts so that we may edify one another. Fellowship for the early church was not just a two-hour gathering throughout the week. Every day, they were together. A few months ago, we filmed our virtual banquet, shameless plug. It's still available, YouTube, Facebook, website. Um, we, filmed, we filmed our virtual banquet, and, and I interviewed a gentleman there, and I asked him, I said, what was significant about this particular program where you were in jail? And, and, and really, his, his answer didn't thrill me at first. He said, fellowship. 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 I, I really wanted him to say something like the Bible studies and, and all the people that were coming in and all of those things. But see, the issue is that fellowship encompasses all of that. And then I got it. Yes, the fellowship is so powerful. That kind of fellowship changed his life. But it also was a fellowship that changed my life. See, I was just, I'm just a kid from Woodline. Grew up near 63rd in Cottage Grove. My mom was a single parent. Worked really hard to take care of me and my brothers and sisters. I mean, when I say really hard, day and night she worked. We grew up in an extremely poor neighborhood. I mean, people were selling drugs, doing all kinds of crime, day or night. We could look out the front window, look out the back window, go in the hallway. It was everywhere. I remember growing up asking friends, what do you want to be when you grow up? They didn't say I wanted to be a nurse, a doctor, an accountant, a paramedic, any of that. They said I want to be a drug dealer. It was natural for me to grow up that I wanted to be a drug dealer as well. So my early teenage years, I got involved in gangs, guns, and drugs. By the age of 15, I was in and out of jail. By the time I was 17 years old, I had committed an attempted murder against a police officer. I was placed in Division 11, which is a, um, a, a housing unit at Cook County Jail. This place was um, the super maximum security division. It was a place where they housed all the high-profile cases. This was the worst of the worst was in this building. And matter of fact, I was in the worst of the worst, but I actually believe that Cook County Jail, especially in those days, was one of the evilest places in the city of Chicago. So 
So here I am in the evilest place in the city of Chicago. I was in the worst of the worst building where all the high profile criminals were housed. I was 17 years old. I was frightened to death. And when I first walked into my cell, there was a Hispanic brother from Palatine. And I walked in and he pulled out a jailhouse knife about this big. And we start fellowshipping. <laughs> it wasn't holy. I got involved in all of the foolishness in jail for about a year. And after a year, I was depressed. I was down. I realized that I had thrown my life down the tubes. I squandered whatever was given to me. I didn't have any hope, and I was helpless. And one day, I asked to be moved. The only hope I thought I could receive was to smoke marijuana as much as I could. And one time, I had got an opportunity to be moved to another housing unit where I assumed they had more marijuana. But to my surprise, as I was walking, as I was on my way there, I found out it was a Christian living unit. I didn't want to be there. So I had my bags in my hand, and I'm walking into the living unit thinking I have to come up with another plan. I walk into this living unit. It's a room a little bigger than this. I'm in this super maximum security division where all the high-profile criminals are housed. And I walk into this place, and I feel, I feel the peace of God. I feel the spirit of God. I didn't know what to call it then, but I knew it was different. It felt different. It looked different. Everything about it was different. These men would get up in the morning at 8 a.m., 48 men would gather around in a circle, and they would sing songs to the Lord. They would open up the scriptures and read scriptures, and then they would pray. And then after that prayer was over, they would break up into four groups of 12, and then the inmates would lead Bible studies. And then after they left, uh, our founder, Dan Sweat, of Chicago and Prison Outreach, he would come in and other volunteers, and they would lead Bible studies. It was like a Bible boot camp. And then in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, they would do it all over again. They would come back out, 48 men, sing songs, read scripture, and pray. And then other speakers would come in. And then at 9 o'clock, right before we went in tonight, went in for the night, 48 men would gather together, sing songs, read scripture, and pray. And I remember being in those press circles, and I remember God breaking shackles off of me. And it, and, and, and it, and it simply started because there was someone who decided to partner with God. They, they had decided to fellowship with God. And there, there were other believers who decided to join in this fellowship and in this partnership and in this contribution. And, and, we, and we in jail, we rallied around something that was common, which was the gospel. And our lives were changed. And there's more to the story, but I have to save it for the next time. But, but, but that fellowship, it impacted and changed my life. See, see, when you're on fire for God, you have the ability to get other people on fire for God. And, and, and here it was, this man Dan Sweats from CPO, he was on fire. And he set a fire for inmates, and inmates set another fire for inmates. And here I am, hopefully I can set a fire at Emmanuel. <laughs> that when we are devoted to fellowship, we will be on fire for God. But not only us, but maybe we can pass the fire on. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, 
kept them on fire. They were devoted to fellowship. And here the text tells us that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, this is a picture of worship. The early church, they was intentional about gathering together to, to remember what Christ had done. That, that's a question that many scholars have asked and wrestled with as it relates to the text. Is, is this passage talking about a casual meal or is this something more meaningful? There, there are several places in the Bible where people have gathered together to break bread. And, and, and it was referring to the sacrament of communion. And there are other places where that language is used where it simply means that they are enjoying a meal together. However, I do believe that this context is suggesting something deeper than mashed potatoes and pot roast and macaroni and some cornbread and Arnold Palmer. <laughs> I, I believe that, that in, when we look at this context, this context is listed with other spiritual disciplines, apostles' teaching fellowship, and prayer. So, so I would lean and I would recommend that here he is suggesting that this is, this is suggesting the communion, the sacrament of communion. And friends, communion, it is central to our worshiping life as believers. Then we think about communion, we, we should think about worship. Why is that? Because it's at the communion table that we are confronted with the love of God. That, 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 that famous passage that we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that we are confronted with that love. And listen, God does not just love us in word, but he loves us indeed. And Romans tells us that God demonstrated his love. That while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And we come to the table, we are confronted with somebody who loves us that much. Now listen, you know you. You know what you did last summer. You know your intentions, your, your motives, thoughts, you know those things that you never got caught for. God loves you. He loves me. When we come to the table, we're reminded that we're not by ourselves. You may be struggling with loneliness and isolation and depression, but when we come to the table, we are reminded that we're not alone. That, that Christ came as a mediator to, to, to bring us back into right relationship with God. But he also came to unite us together. That, that, that he has made a new body, a new people, a new family, that we are in this together. When we come to the table, we are reminded of our eternal hope. That the Holy Spirit came to seal us until the day of redemption. Until we receive our inheritance with all the saints. That one day we will be with him and all the saints forever and ever. And there won't be any COVID. There won't be any shootings on the expressway. There won't be a need for prisons and prison ministries. But we will be with the Lord forever and ever. 
And friends, it's, it's when, when we think of the table, when we come to the table, we should be filled with gratitude because we are feasting on the grace of God and on the goodness of God. When we gather around the table, we are reminded that this is why we sing. This is why we dance. This is why we give. This is why we serve. Because he loved me that much. The early church feasted on the grace of God. They, 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 they remember what the body and the blood of Christ. They were on fire for God. I'm afraid that sometimes we devalue the fact that God has forgiven us of our sins. We should never get over that. We should never get over that, that God has forgiven me, that he has washed me in the blood, that he has redeemed me and I can never be sold again. He has adopted me and made me his own. I should never get over that. <laughs> Friends, if we never get over that, if we always allow that to stir us and to remind us of his goodness and his love and his grace that is pouring out for, on us, we'll always be on fire for the Lord. I got to take my seat. After I tell you this last one. They were on fire because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. But they also devoted themselves to prayer. They, 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 they trusted God. And, and, and their trust is on display when they have a commitment to pray. Listen, they, they prayed privately, but they also prayed corporately. And it appears that they kept the Jewish pattern. And, and, and they prayed three times a day. They, they, they were always before the Lord, allowing God into those intimate, personal, private spaces in their lives. You know what I love about prayer is that I can tell God what I can't tell anyone else. And he doesn't shun me. God welcomes me. He says, come. I live, I've been living in the suburbs for about 15 years. One of the things that strikes me as a difference between the city and the suburbs is this. In the city, we close our blinds. We, we, we close our blinds in the city or we close our curtains. The reason why we close our blinds and curtains in the city is because we don't want people looking into our homes. We, we, we don't want people to see what we have or sometimes what we don't have. I know why, what we do in the city. I still have not figured out why those in the suburbs keep their blinds open, keep their curtains open, and, and, and everybody can see in their living room or in their dining room. But friends, can, can I tell you that this reminds me of prayer? That, 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 that what God wants from us is he wants us to open up because he, he, he wants us to let him in. 
Because when he comes in, he wants to do a work in us. And I don't know where you may be today. If you're here in the sanctuary or you're watching online, and maybe you've never opened up your life to Christ. Maybe you've never invited him in, even to be your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you never thought you can trust God that much. But you can be vulnerable with God. You can open the curtains of your life. and You can let them in. And when he comes in, he doesn't steal from us. He blesses us. And as some of us, we love the Lord. We've been closed. We've been keeping God out. And God is looking. He's like, I, I, daughter, I want to come in. Son, I, I want to come in, but, but you keep closing the blinds of your life. He says, if you let me come in, then I'll show up and I'll start popping out of your life. That, that, that I'm so big that, I, that I'll start popping out of your life everywhere. And not only will you be on fire for God, but there'll be others who'll be on fire for me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Father, we are amazed that you would visit us. The psalmist says that what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you've crowned us a little lower than the angels. You've made us a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned us with glory and honor, Lord. We are still amazed that you love us, but we are so thankful that you do. God, you are everything. Lord, we want to be on fire for you. We want to be all that you would have us to be. Do a work in us. Use us. Use this church in great ways. Set them on the blaze for your glory and your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.